0: Hi everyone, welcome to Voices with a Cause. On today's podcast episode, we'll be talking to Melissa and Jonathan Nightingale. This was one of the first episodes that I recorded and I had the best time. On their website, they say that they don't bite. But you know what? Even though they don't bite, they definitely pack a punch in the stories they tell And in the truth bombs, they draw as they explain their business and what they really believe in. Melissa and Jonathan are a dynamic duo. They are a couple and they are building an epic business that helps leaders get honest about growing organizations who want to make a difference. Melissa and Jonathan and I got to talk about a lot of different things. And even if we don't agree on everything, I walked away on a mission to learn about more businesses. I knew that at the least, this podcast would help people to really think about what matters to them, what matters to them as leaders, and how they're showing up in the world on a day-to-day basis. I can't think of a better place to start than with Melissa and Jonathan Nightingale from the Raw Signal Group. So without further ado, I'm gonna zip my lip and start asking them some questions.
1: Hi, I'm Melissa Nightingale.
2: Hi, I'm Jonathan Nightingale.
1: And we are the co-founders of Raw Signal Group. And in giant letters outside of our office, it says, we build better bosses. And that is the core of the work that we do day in, day out at Raw Signal Group.
2: Yeah, we both worked in tech for about 20 years in a variety of roles. Um, But for the last several in senior leader and executive roles and in 2017 we looked around and we realized a lot of the people doing the job that we were doing both in tech and elsewhere were doing it without anybody ever having taught them how to do it well and we had we had had that experience and had made a bunch of mistakes along the way and decided it was time to start helping other people avoid some of those
1: and in part it was really strategic like we felt like a lot of folks were finding that work wasn't working for them and they were they were having a really hard time Going to work and showing up sort of day in, day out, and we said, look, like if you can fix the bosses, if you can help bosses to have more of the skills that they need to be successful and to show up really well for their teams, you not only fix that o- that sort of individual's experience of showing up at work, you often fix the experience of the the sort of six to ten to twenty five to two hundred and fifty people working underneath them. And isn't that neat? Like, isn't that a, a sort of incredible thing that if you fix the boss, you fix the work experience for the people working under them, but you also often fix entire organizations in terms of how they show up and do that work. And, and sort of at the, the sort of nth level, we're, we're excited about the idea that you can fix a lot of work that way.
2: Yeah, there's this, like, there's this contradiction, right? Because on the one hand, so many of our friends and, and, and ourselves for that matter, have had the experience of working for a really awful boss, right? Have had the experience of someone who just didn't, didn't see them, didn't make opportunity for them, didn't make time for them, um, was, was abusive or whatever. And, and on the other hand, when we talk to bosses, it's very rare that we find someone who's like awful in that way. Right. And so how can that be? How can it be that most people have had these shitty experiences, but, but most of the bosses, when we meet them one-on-one are, are trying and a big part of that gap is just not knowing what they're doing. That Unlike almost any other job in a modern business, any other job, you, we'd expect you to have some training. We'd expect you to have some background in order to do it. Um, but bosses, we figure like, oh, you were a good engineer. You can lead engineers now. You were a good copywriter. You can you can run a marketing team now. I've
1: never met a boss. I have never met a boss. We've worked with thousands of leaders around the globe. I have never met a boss who says, I've got it all figured out. I feel like that it's just, it's not possible. I think this work is work that you start. It's not work that you finish.
2: For us, you know, when we're working with leaders, we, we, t- we tell them up front, we like, Look, in this program, you know, whatever it is, whether it's a a live in-person ticketed event back when we did those or or whether it's an online thing, we always say, you're going to hear us use boss and manager and leader. We're going to use them all interchangeably. And that's very frustrating for some people who write management books because they want to – they have all kinds of bumper stickers, right, about like management is doing things right and leadership is doing the right things and – Okay.
1: I, I love Drucker, but like I think the the practical application of life in the modern workforce like the, you you're not spending a lot of time navel gazing on which which tool set am I deploying right in this moment.
2: No, there's there's edges, right? There are things that are leadership that involve no management, there are things that are management that involve no leadership, but but 85% of it overlaps and anyway, to be To be really successful and and to make work better for the people around you, you need to do both anyway.
1: And Zoe, I'd say in a way that that you may appreciate more than most folks we talked to, it was about a reclaiming of, right? For us, the word boss had gotten such a negative connotation that many folks were trying to have management and leadership roles where they never said the word manager, right? Where they never said the word leader. And for us, like, it's part of this idea of it, it's not only work that you can do, it's work that you can do well. And so the starting concept that a boss is a something to be embarrassed about, only, only if you're doing it poorly. If you're doing it poorly, like, okay, be embarrassed and use that as motivation to go sort of do a better job of it. But I think for a lot of leaders, the idea that the, that management is sort of a, a valid and authentic out, like uh, career and it's an opportunity for you to have real impact beyond the individual work that you're doing. We really wanted to, to get comfortable And sort of sit in in what it means to be a boss.
0: It's such an interesting, you know, idea that you're pointing out because I've gone through that myself. I called myself the chief executive schmoozer for a very long time in my own leadership journey, and I thought that was approachable and cute and you know brand positive. And then I realized that I was really frustrated with how many people were calling me cute and. (laughs) That that naming of Zoe is cute and, you know, she's in her 20s and was a teacher first and then started this agency and she thinks she knows what she's doing, that was self-branded. Mm-hmm. That was because I wasn't ready to own CEO or boss. And as soon as I actually had a child, um, that mindset started to shift. I thought of myself as more of, you know, a powerful, capable woman. And that was that shift internally about what it means to be a boss was so helpful and I, I think that this is a great transition to my questions about you know being a boss and making money because making money is another thing that has a stigma around it it's great to make money you want to make money people are celebrated for making money and yet if you're greedy and you know self-obsessed and narcissistic. That's not a very good leadership quality either. so it's it is about intention behind your leadership as well. so I, I would be curious to know what you think about money and leadership and and the way we frame those words
2: yeah there's a there's a lot to unpack there right And I would say when we talk with folks whether honestly whether they're bosses or not, money is one of those topics that everybody's got some internal knots to to untie right unless you've done a lot of work, With yourself with a therapist with with whomever Um, everybody's got stuff that they're hung up on there and and for us you know when we started raw signal group like we we orient very much towards our mission we orient very much towards like our job is to make work better and our leverage point for that is to give bosses the tools they need to stop failing their people Um, but it's a for-profit enterprise Right. I mean we we can talk about like sort of how we structure it and how we make sure that we're doing other kinds of good in the world, but but we're not ashamed of the fact that um that we charge money for our programs. That like yeah. you know, in some cases our programs are expensive and, and that we we pay the bills. I mean we're a we're a husband and wife founding team. So like Raw Signal Group pays for our food, right? And, and for our employees, right?
0: Yeah, it's such an interesting thing, Jonathan, because I think what we're getting at and even just in hearing you talk about it. It, it's like you feel to be perceived the way you want to be perceived. Does that mean you have to apologize for making good money? And does that mean that you don't do other good things as well? So uh, one of the things I really wanted to talk to you guys about specifically is that you, you are a for-profit, but you're also... social enterprise so why don't you tell me about why you're a social enterprise what that means to you what that means to other people we can start you know one question at a time so tell me about what social enterprise means to you to start
1: so what's interesting is that that we became a b corporation in 2019 and in like late 2019 and a lot of folks asked when we got our b corp certification they said oh what made you decide to become a b corp and it was this funny thing that we had to sort of unwind and say, no, 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 no. It's, it's not that we in 2019 decided to become a B Corp. It's in 2017 when we founded, we wanted to be a B Corp and we were not eligible to qualify as one until 2019.
2: Yeah, if, if you're listening and you don't know what a B Corp is, it, B Corporation is this project that's been around for a while that, that gives social enterprises in a variety of jurisdictions a way to say... You know, here are the commitments that we make and and here's how we're trying to to take accountability for more than just our financial impact in the world. Um, it's a there are jurisdictions where you can actually like a B Corp is a different thing. It's different than for-profit, it's different than nonprofit, like a benefit corporation is a is a special thing. But we're up in Ontario and, and a benefit corp isn't a thing that you can be up here, you know, when you file your incorporation paperwork, but we can you can still go through this process of certification and it it's got a ton of stuff in it mostly to keep ourselves accountable, right? Like, how do we treat our employees? How do we take responsibility for the community in which we work? What's our vendor procurement process look like? And and how do we reckon with the fact that if we're spending a bunch of money on, you know, cleaning or event supplies or catering, that that money is flowing to organizations that, you know, are, are led by women are led by, you know, racialized minorities? How do we just basically take a broader look at our impacts.
1: Yeah, I think B Corp at its core is about a, an essential commitment to not only sort of the the enterprise that you're in, but also to environmental and social justice. And and for us, like that that was present in our conversations in founding Ross Signal Group and the work that we wanted to do, but, but the certification process took longer. Do you feel like people come to you
0: because you're B Corp? Do they make a connection between doing good and being a better boss? Or is it just... It, is it unrelated to most people?
1: For most people, it's unrelated. For us, it matters a lot. It is a thing. It is one of the things I think in terms of the the history of Raw Signal Group that we are probably the proudest of. But I think for a lot of the folks that we work with, it it doesn't necessarily show up in terms of their vendor selection process.
2: You know, it's funny. Melissa and I met in the early days of the Firefox web browser, and a lot of people might not know that Firefox was a was started by a nonprofit, and one of the things that experience taught us was that, you know, Mozilla had had various failures. Mozilla, the organization that built Firefox, had had various failures saying, you know, here's a product that you should use because it's good for you. You should use it because a nonprofit built it. It's like take your vitamins, right? You should use this instead of Internet Explorer or whatever because it's, it's values infused. And it doesn't work. Or it didn't work. It didn't work, right? And then we built something that was great, Firefox was way better than any browser when it came out. There was no Google Chrome. There wasn't really Safari. Internet Explorer was was awful. Firefox came out and it was great. And our values were still baked into it, right? But that if the product isn't great on its own merits, you just, you fail to drive your social mission forward. And, and that does, it, like, it sounds a bit capitalist that like, if you're not, if you're not making something that people wanna buy, your values can be important to you, but they're not gonna drive your business. That, like, we can't wash that off, right? They, we, we learned that lesson 10, 15 years ago when we started working there, but it still infuses a lot of what we do, that we have to be the best in the world at leveling up bosses in a modern context, at talking to them about how to deal with people from vastly different backgrounds, at, at making sure that our own education is tight around inclusion and equity and, and anti-oppression stuff, because, like, then we're going to go out and we're going to stand in front of a room of bosses and say, here's the stuff you need to think about. But if at any point we said and you should hire us instead of, you know, somebody else because we're we're a uh, B Corp. There are people who would do that, but but most of our most of our customers aren't indexing off that. They're happy to see it, right? But they're not it's not the thing that's driving their purchase decision. It's a thing that we do to hold ourselves accountable.
1: Yeah, you should hire us because we're the best in the world at the work that we do. We are also a B Corp.
0: Yeah, that that's so important and we talk about that all the time uh, at my company Schmooze, in that you know it can't be purpose alone because that's not necessarily marketable and that's sad really sad but that's why i think so many charities and nonprofits have so many problems you need it to be run like a business and it needs to be top class best offering possible and and i don't think it's you said you know it might sound capitalist but i don't think it's just about it sounding capitalist i think it's conscious capitalism and that's that's in my opinion the way forward um if i could I'm gonna be bold here. If I could see charities becoming social enterprises or run like them, I think that would be good.
1: What do you think? I think it's okay to have something that's mission and mission alone. I think it. I think you. You said it earlier. You said, "Is it okay to have something that's sort of money and and make money and be unapologetic about making money?" I think it. It is okay to have an organization that exists to make money. I think when you're an organization that exists to make money alone, it may be worth a, a sort of look as as to whether that's the impact that you want to have in the world. It might be. But on the flip side, I think it's okay for nonprofits, for charities, for government organizations to not necessarily be focused on profitability. I think there are things that need to exist in the world that don't necessarily have a core profit model or motive to them. But I think the the blending is where life gets interesting. Like I think that the increasing push toward how do you bring some of those elements together? How do you talk about sort of triple bottom line? How do we start thinking about capitalism, but but sort of bringing that into like, you also own, you not only own the revenue and the, the sort of money that you take home at the end of the year, but you also own the impact in the world. And if the impact in the world is negative, you, you as a business own that. If your people are having a bad experience at work, you as a business, you as a brand, that shows up for you.
2: Yeah, I think that's exactly it. Like, I think there are certainly things. Like, I, I, I think I don't want a women's shelter run like a business, right? I think like they should be, you know, they should be mindful about how they spend their money. But I, I don't need them to have uh, strong marketing and a, a characteristic and positive brand identity. Like those things may be helpful for their fundraising and stuff. But fundamentally, I think they're focused on delivery. Of a, of a service that, that the world needs. And if all their money goes to that and none of their money goes to marketing, that's okay with me. Um, and if they need to succeed on people feeling that mission so deeply that they give money, even for no return, right? In a, in a straight charitable context, I think I think that's legitimate. But to build on uh, Melissa's other point, I think I saw somebody tweet the other day. Somebody was, it doesn't even matter what they were about, but but somebody had this throwaway line well, I said, I mean, let's be honest. At the end of the day, a business's job is to make money. And I just thought, you know, it's so self-evident to that person when they tweet it. And I'm sure there's plenty of people who are going to read it and just agree because it's, it's sort of a fact of nature. But, but how uncreative, how unimaginative to, <laughs> to see things that way, right? And be like, the purpose of a job is to make money. Like, Melissa and I both know if, if it was just about like maximizing the money that flows into our household, we shouldn't be doing this right? We shouldn't be doing this. We should, I mean, maybe like we, again, we're a for-profit business. I would love to see it succeed, but we could, we could hang up these gloves and go back into tech and take our our 20 years of startup cred and having worked with, you know, thousands of leaders now and say to like Oracle, right? Or Salesforce, like you want to hire us as an executive vice president of something or other. And like, I guarantee that the paycheck would be impressive. That's, that's just like if if you need money to to pay your bills to take care of your family, obviously money is going to be very important to you, but it it just feels so limited to think of the organizations you can build and the ways that they can impact the world in this like one-dimensional lens.
0: So do leaders who come for training do they have to go through looking at their values and understanding why they are in the role that they're in and why they care about the company they're working at. Is that an important part of your process to help them reconnect with their purpose? Uh, As a leader,
1: there are three pieces that come through for everybody who's coming through a program with us right there. There are really three key areas that we focus on. And the first is can we give you skills and I know that that sounds relatively straightforward, but it's actually very challenging to give folks skills in a professional context like you come from a teaching background. The very sad stat is that 70% of professional development opportunities that happen in a workplace. A fail and they fail like outright. The people don't go back and use the skills. And so for us, the core element of like, can I give you something on a Tuesday that you then turn around and use in your business on a Wednesday? Like that is very satisfying for us because it means that it's gonna have lasting impact. The second piece for us is can we give leaders an opportunity to do some reflection and particularly because many of the leaders that we work with are in fast moving and fast growth organizations giving them any time at all to reflect on how am i showing up in the role what does the organization need from me what does my team need from me and where are their gaps and how do i how do i want to set about sort of addressing those gaps I think for a lot of leaders you can go an entire career and not have any opportunity to go through those at all and then the third piece that we focus on with the organizations that we work with is can we help your leaders rely on each other, right? Can we can we build unit cohesion? Can we have your management and leadership team focused as a team? And that's where values show up, right? You sort of talk about this idea of like an organization's values are more than just the words on the wall, on it, like on some poster. And I think for a lot of leaders, the idea that if I'm if I'm like messing up in my organization, I'm going to hear about it and I'm going to hear about it, especially when it's a values violation, I think for a lot of leaders, like if I'm managing in an organization, you're managing an organization, we have wildly different interpretations of how that works. But I think one of the, the neat parts about our program is that we want you to leave as a management team, which means that, that your employees are having a more consistent experience.
2: Yeah, and the, the mechanism for it is a fun one, right? That we say throughout the program, there's several places where we say, look, like you don't have to run your business with our values right? We're, we're very upfront about what our values are and about, you know, how we think about some of this stuff. And and certainly that informs the way we discuss certain topics. Um, but what we say is, like, you don't have to leave with our values. You just you just have to have grappled with yours. You just have to, like, the, the values you have have to be true, right? We've had companies come in who say, well, you know, we really value work-life balance. And then we get into the conversations with the leadership team and they're like, well... Well, we value work life balance unless it's crunch time, like unless we've got a really big client that we've got to make happy, right? And then we don't really value work life balance so much. And like, I would, I understand you can't put that on a poster, but I would rather you say that, right? Because it's true. Because, like, because if, if I come into your company tomorrow and I see this poster and I'm like, wow, I've joined a company that really values work life balance, I'm so excited about that, I'm, I'm gonna have a really unpleasant experience the first time I realize that that's not true. And so, like, that grappling, that's really important, right? And it feeds into like whenever we've got leaders coming and talking to us about sort of social enterprise, about the impact that their, their business or their organization has in the world, that's one of the things we lead from is like, show me where you've done uncomfortable work. And like, well, I didn't do anything uncomfortable, but I did, you know, pledge, you know, once, once we go public, I pledged $5,000 to Black Lives Matter. And we're like, okay, great. Like that organization will benefit from that money. And I'm, I'm happy that you did that. It's
1: better than not doing it.
2: Right. Um, that's not grappling, right? I don't see you doing hard work and and you don't have to do it because I said to do it, but my put to you is that if you haven't done that hard work in your organization to say like, where are we having an impact that we're not proud of? Where are the things that we would not want someone to write an expose about? Whether it's about our employees or about the way we abuse our supply chain or about the... Sort of quality defects we send out to our customers, whatever we're, it we're is.
1: Clients that we take on that we don't want to put their logo we're on not, our website. That's right.
2: That, yeah.
0: That's what I was gonna ask about. Are there people who it's been very challenging for you, like pulling teeth out where you're like, okay, well, this is a client who we've helped them with their leadership, but this is not our ideal client because oh. they're they're just resisting social conscious, you know, having a social conscience.
1: We don't take on those clients.
2: We say no to them.
1: Oh, we are in an, an incredibly we fortunate position and it is a moment of, of profound privilege that we should acknowledge and say out loud that like, that Raw Signal Group is a sought after uh, sort of partner for a lot of organizations is, is puts us in a wonderful position. But even in the moments where we, where we were early on in our founding history and there weren't, you know, 600 other companies sort of lining up and knocking at our door, um, we still made those calls.
2: Yeah, we, I mean, in the middle of pandemic, right, like lockdown in March and, and our entire business was built around gathering people in person, Zoe, like it was about like having people in the same room together. And so like yeah. lockdown happened, we sort of read the writing on the wall pretty early and we're like, we're not going back into a live event this year, certainly. And um, and who knows about 2021 And, um, and in like April or May, we had clients coming in who are interested in doing some work online, new programs that we were just developing and and we wanted people to beta test. Um, And, you know, they lovely people, but in an industry that we couldn't support or with a set of decisions they'd made as a company that we just couldn't be proud of. And we're like, look, like if this is the thing that sinks the business, if, if, if there isn't any more raw signal group, because we said no to this work, how do we feel about that? If there is raw signal group, but only because we said yes to this work, how do we feel about that? And, and I mean, one of the nice things about being a small business is that y- you can get all the, all the staff into a room together and even if it's virtual and say like, do we wanna take this work or don't we? And, and we just made the call, like we, we gotta be proud of the work we're doing. Otherwise, what's the point?
1: And Zoe, in ways that you probably appreciate, it's codified. It's something that we put down in sort of our initial organizational values is, is we say, for all work that Rossigna Groups takes on, we ask a set of questions. And the first question is, should that work be done? and like full stop, should that work be done? Second question is, should that work be done by us? And then the third question is, will we be proud of that work? And will it have lasting impact in the world?
2: If those things fail, then it's not a client we should take.
0: One of the struggles I've had as a marketing agency through this time has been people saying, I have to show up looking like I care. Mm -hmm. And if I don't, you know, what's that going to say about my company? And I'm like, Well, you're saying something about your company right now. (laughs) Um, And it's, it's really, it's really hard. I have, you know, a lot of responsibilities to my team in terms of saying, I, I have 12 staff there. I'm responsible for their salaries. And I am beholden to my values and I value that I care and embody my values. But do I want to lay people off? Yeah. And when it comes to, you know, because I don't want that work. Uh, so when it comes to leadership and social good, I, I personally feel such a push and pull because sometimes doing good isn't good for my bottom line. Yeah. So it's, it's such an interesting thing, such an interesting relationship as a leader, how you, how you lead your team in terms of saying this is what we believe in and this is what we stand for while you're trying to figure that out yourself
1: <laughs> especially yeah.
0: during a pandemic
1: <laughs> i will say one of the things that helps is that we talk every single one of those through with the entire team as a case like we talk we talk it through right because it should be scrutable if it's a thing where we're making the call not to take on that work we should be able to talk through why and and the edges of it because sometimes sometimes it's it's not it's not binary right it's not that the company comes in and they're like we're I don't know, we're like, we're, we're selling weapons for overseas conflict with children. Like it's just, okay, that, that one's a clear, like that's a no. Um, but I think for a lot of the ones that are sort of a little bit more murky than that, it is a very healthy exercise for leaders to get in the habit of talking it through with their teams because so much of that work is happening in isolation. Like so many leaders I know are staying up all night trying to figure it out and they show up and the decision's already done and they don't let their team into any of the decision-making process.
2: Yeah, and, and often you know, one of the things that attracts those people to you is, is that they see values forward leadership, right? Like even just the way you were asking the question, I, I didn't want to interrupt, but I did want to say like, that's what grappling sounds like, yes. right? Like, and it's not, it's not, um, it's not like it's easy for us. We went through this actually earlier this week. We had somebody that we talked to that was, um that was great, loved him. And then dug in a little more. I'm like, ah, oh, and it's right on the line. Like it's, but Um, And and so we had to talk that one through, like, it's not easy. And I I don't want to hold us up as like having gotten every call right. And or, or being so like, ideologically driven that we'll only work. We, We had this, when we first started Raw Signal Group, we had this, this rule that like, we can't expect every client we work with to be perfect. If they were perfect, and they had it all figured out, they wouldn't need us, right? And so like, we have to meet our clients where they are, and understand that like, most of the leaders that we work with, more than eighty percent of the work leaders that we work with, even in the C-suite, have never had any training on this stuff at all. Right, so we can't we can't be mad at them for being ignorant in the literal sense, like like not knowing, because that's our whole job is to help them know things. Um, what we want to be careful about is places where where it's obvious they've actively made a decision that we can't support. Right, and and that's that's our line. But even still, we've had. We've had companies that we've worked with or individual leaders that we've worked with that have, you know, we've come to discover have different values than we do. That's that's part of the job, right? If you're gonna invite in a diversity of voices, you're gonna you're gonna encounter that sometimes. The question is just where are we upfront when we when we sign paperwork, where are we saying like our tools work, right? Working with us is going to make your company work better. Do we want this company to work better or not?
1: Right, like if we make you very efficient and very effective at very bad things, then we will not be proud of that work. That's such an that's such
0: an interesting point. For me, I what what that makes me think about is, you know, a company comes to you and and they're like similarly to what I deal with as a marketing agency, well, we need to show up better in the marketplace as someone who gives back. So help us decide who to give back to so that we can do that. And I'm like no, it doesn't work that way. (laughs) We have to actually figure out what matters to you and your team in a deep and meaningful way. And then that becomes a guidepost to the decisions you make.
1: We spend a lot of our time having that conversation with leaders, particularly founders, right? Founders are such a lovely set of folks. They, They often start from a really clear and crisp idea of what it is that they're trying to do. But then over the course of doing that work, they forget to say it out loud and right like they just they're like it's very in their head and it's super clear in their head but their teams come on and the team grows and things scale and we find like a lot of the leaders that we work with one of the the sort of biggest shoves that we get there is like if i'm new tomorrow how would i know that those things are connected
2: yeah melissa has this mean game that she'll play sometimes with with managers with CEOs where she'll say okay what are the values you've got a you've got a values poster somewhere in your office right it's probably got pastel colors like what are the what are the values on that poster and they, you know, especially if we've got a group that they, they sort of think about it and they remember three of them right away and it takes them a second to remember the other two, but they get there, they get to all five and we're like, great. Okay. Those are your values. Um, let's think about the last four people that got promoted in your company. What can we say about those four people? What, what unites them? Why are those the people that got promoted? Right. Well, let's think about the last couple people who got fired. What unites them? Why did they get fired? Uh, and, and my hope is those lists match right my hope is that the people that, that if you've got a value around collaboration my hope is that you promoted that person over there for their brilliance at collaboration and i'm a little bit worried that you promoted that person out there for grabbing something and running with it and doing something heroic and solo and there's nothing wrong with recognizing a person for that right maybe that's that's a part of your culture that sometimes we just need someone to pick the ball up and run with it but then tell me that that's your value right because if if the poster doesn't match my employment experience, and my paths forward within the organization, then you've got two lists of values, and only one of them is true, right? And and if you start from that place, you know, I think, Zoe, you're exactly right. It's a self-reflective place to be like, why did I promote those people, right? They're not, they're not living some of my values, but the, I do feel right that those were the things to, those are the people to promote. Okay, like most people's first crack at a values document is not correct, right? It's not accurate. It's, it's, maybe it's aspirational, but, but a lot, it's just sort of like Instagram shiny. It's, it's just like what you think your values poster is supposed to say, right? I would, I would so much rather, you know, the, the organizations that do this, you know this, often talk about values discovery, right? That we need to go look at like, how are you actually, what are you actually valuing? And then we'll figure out how to write that on a poster that sounds good. But like, we have to start from what are the things that actually motivate you? Because there's no organization out there without values. There just may be organizations out there that haven't discovered them yet.
0: That feels very true. And, and from a marketer's perspective, you know, when they don't know their values, it makes it very difficult to explain the value that they're creating. So although the product on its own could be a great product, the values do tend to differentiate the the client, the, the customer's experience with that product. And, and, and so I do think they go hand in hand. I really, really, I, I really do. Um, one, one last question would be, you know, is there, is there a story you could tell about someone you saw step into being a leader in a way that led to greater impact that you feel really proud of that you'd like to tell me about? You don't have to say the name of the person, but I think that would be really interesting to hear about how the work you do drives impact.
2: We're, we're making um, eye contact right now, and, and it's because we, we both have so many, but you go ahead.
1: There are two that come to mind for me, but I'll, I will say one that, that stands out for me is that we do this work and we talk about the parts of management and leadership that are hard, right? I think there's there's a lot of sort of conversation out there. There's a lot of medium posts. There's a lot of sort of business books around the parts that are that are glorified, but I think the the core of it, and anyone who's sort of done this work for more than 10 minutes knows that like It is hard work it is often lonely work and for many folks they don't have the skills necessary to do the job and do it well they feel like failures and i think one of the the sort of examples that comes to mind is we had somebody who who was just brilliant and this is part of the we work with very very technical organizations and so we end up having folks in programs with us who are who are very technically proficient right they're very very good at sort of the the core elements of their job but the management and leadership pieces may be more of a struggle and we had somebody come up to us at the end of a program and sort of, sort of quiet. I said, I, I didn't know what this job entailed when I said yes to it. I didn't know what I was saying yes to. And, and I, the promotion sounded good. More money sounded good. The new fancy business card sounded good. I am now really clear on what the job is. And I'm also really clear that it's not a job I want. And for the two of us, that is an unmitigated win. And I think when you talk to our clients, it's it's one of the things that we warn people about in advance is that sometimes you will put people through the education of what it means to manage and lead in a fast growing organization and have them come out of the other side of that, realizing that they had said yes to a thing that they should have said no to. And so it's a little bit of a funny one in terms of a win, but I feel like anytime you've got a leader in an organization who's sitting in that spot, who's responsible for the careers of an entire team under them, um, and they, they would rather be anywhere but there. Um, one of the the nice kindnesses is, is that it, through the course of a program like ours, you can get to the other end of it and realize like I, I said yes and I should have said no.
2: It's funny when you ask the question, my mind immediately went to this um, this saved search that I have on LinkedIn of uh, people who have changed jobs in the last couple months. And I love that search. I love it because we connect as much as possible. We connect with our with our alum on LinkedIn after they finish a program. And it means that every time I check that, it's full of people that we've worked with who are now a director, who are now a VP, who are now like founding their own thing or founding their third thing. And like, like it's just, it's so cool to see that. And it's it's such a sort of mercenary thing to be like, oh, your di- your title changed. But like what it means for that person in terms of like increased scope and increased confidence and trying new things and stretching, like, I love that. But, but when you asked, the first person I thought of was someone that we worked with pretty early on. Who, um, you know, before we started Raw Signal Group, we we had a, a blog that was very popular with leadership topics, and we turned that into a book. And this person came in uh, and said, "You know, I have to thank you because I I read the book and it turned me around on something." There's a chapter in the book where we talk about meritocracy, about this idea of like promoting the people who are best at the job, and um, and we talk in the book about how that's garbage about how like it would be wonderful if that existed, but it doesn't exist. And that when you when you use that word, you're erasing the fact that some people have a much harder time proving their merit because of their gender, because of their presentation, because of their race, because of their disability, that merit is something that uh, that elevates some people much faster than others. And it's not helpful to pretend that that's not happening. And this person who was talking to me about it was a woman in technology, in a technology role, like. That's a that's a person for whom the meritocracy often fails. But when she when she came up to us, she said, you know, I was a big believer in it. And I read that chapter. And it stuck with me. And I I wanted to fight with it at the time. But I kept seeing more and more examples of it. And now I'm a boss. And I feel like my job is to do better than that is to not pretend that merit is going to do it on its own and to try and actively interrupt the systems that are getting in the way of everybody on my team who's not a, a straight white, able bodied, English speaking, non immigrant man, Um, And I just think that's so cool. Like not everybody needs to leave one of our programs being a, a warrior for social justice, but I, it is so meaningful to me to, to imagine that we've now got thousands of leaders that we've reached out there in the world, getting promoted, moving to new companies, spreading that like competence. I just, I just, that's the thing that gets me really excited.
0: I could have honestly spoken to Melissa and Jonathan for a long time. When we stopped the recording, we continued to talk about some of my challenges in leadership, and they were the most generous in giving me advice and pointers about how to look at myself with a discerning eye as a leader. One of the most important takeaways I had from this conversation was about how my values and the things that I've learned in becoming a teacher are a little bit at odds with what I have to do as a CEO. Being kind and being open to people's needs on your team doesn't mean that you need to be taken advantage of. When you define your core values and include kindness in there, that includes being kind to yourself and giving yourself the grace to learn, to tell other people what you need from them clearly and to take time for yourself. I hope I've given you some food for thought in this conversation today with Jonathan and Melissa. Thanks for joining me for this episode of Voices with a Cause, where we talk to brands who care about how they use their voices to make social impact changes in the world. Make sure you subscribe to this channel for updates. And if you liked today's episode, be sure to share it with a friend or comment. I'm always happy to hear from you. I'm Zoe Sher, and this is Voices with a Cause. See you soon.